With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey guys, this is the first time I've ever had to do this, but I want to give a little bit of an introduction. I'm about to interview Tony Robbins and I'm recording this intro afterwards. I just want to tell you, he was so excited and passionate throughout the interview that occasionally you'll hear a bang on the table, actually much louder than that because he has huge hands. The guy has giant hands. He bangs the table when he's making a point. You'll hear it throughout. Don't worry. He's not beating anyone up. He's just excited and passionate about what we're talking about. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show. You've got to find something that you value more than yourself. You have to find. Motive does matter. Motive brings energy. Now listen to me. People can do the most amazing things with their minds. You have to diversify your life in many ways. You've spent decades doing it. Some people don't know how to do it. The whole how thing. Let's you and I get rid of this whole how thing just for a second. How is not as important as why or what. Hmm. If you have to ask yourself, how am I going to do it? Most people won't do it. For the very reason you say, I don't know how. I don't know how to do any of this shit. What I did is I decided what. That's what a leader does. What am I going to do? What's the result I'm going to produce? And more importantly, why? Because reasons come first and answers come second. If you get a big enough why, you can figure out how to do anything. What and why unleashes the psyche. How brings in the mind and then the mind brings in fear. Listen, I'm a strategist. I love the how. But the how must come after the what and why are so powerful. How? There's a million ways how to do something. First off, Hello, Tony Robbins, and happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks, James. Uh, Why are you doing this on your birthday? <laughs> well, because the book came out on my birthday. It wasn't the plan, but it did. So I want to feed another 100 million people this year. I've had 200 million people the last two years, and I'm donating 100% of the value of this book, all the royalties to this book, uh, to feed people again. So it should. You know, we sold a million copies in hardback the last time, so I think we'll sell a million. It'll be 50 million meals. And then I'm adding another 50 million of my additional money to feed the 100 million people. We're going to feed a billion people over the next seven years. So by the way, I want to talk about that and I admire that a lot. Any proceeds I get on ads from this particular podcast are all going to your uh, feed oh, that's families. So, so I'll match you. Whatever you do, I'll match you. All right, good. So <laughs> I'm telling my producers uh, filming you saying that. So, <laughs> so you can't lie. Um, no worries. So Tony, uh, just a couple of questions. I know your birthday is today's February 28th when we're fil- when we're videotaping this. Uh, February 29th, your actual birthday. Yeah. I've never met a leap year guy before. Yeah. So you're actually like, what, 16 years 14. old? Like, yeah, 14, 14 years birthdays. Old. When I'm 84, I'll be 21. It's a good deal. <laughs> so, so, so why are you, uh, what's it like when what did you do when you were a kid on february 28th like did you feel bad like other kids were having no, birthday parties? i never complained about it it, was, it, was, it just made it feel more special when you actually had a birthday but i usually celebrate on the 28th so it stays in february it's no big deal all yeah. right well i'm glad that you are taking some time out on your busy day to come here your new book 
Unshakable, which is a follow-up to your best-selling book, Money. And Unshakable, I feel, I feel like with Money, it was almost like this behemoth where you talk to all these billionaires and what happened during the financial crisis? How can we avoid it? And it was a great, great book. You, we, we spoke then and it was a great book, but it was a lot. People had to read 700 pages. Right? <laughs> yes, How, I feel like people had to read a billion pages to understand everything that went on. <laughs> but here you kind of tell the very specific facts that you need to know. And I've been in the financial business as a, a hedge fund manager, a journalist, everything. And I even learned something. I, can I tell you one of the facts? Yeah, I tell me. I'm curious. So on average, you, you write this closer to the beginning. I think it's in chapter two of the book. You write, on average, the market falls 10%. Every year, at least one point during the year, the market falls 10%, which when it does, everybody's panicking. But if you just say on average, it does this every year, people would stop panicking. Yeah, and, and it's it's like, you're not surprised when winter comes. So why would you be surprised? Financial winter comes every single year since 1900. 116 years, we've averaged one. And it's a minimum of 10%. The average is actually 14%, which gets people's attention more than 10 does, right? And let me ask you, do, do, do you think, and from your context, do people panic every year? <laughs> Well, you look at your, you know better than I do. You've been in business. Every year. Yes, most people <laughs> panic every year. And what I want to do, this whole reason I wrote this book is I re, we're in the eighth year of our bull market, as you know now, right? And it's the second largest bull market in history. And everybody's got this, oh my God, new highs. Oh my God, it's going to have to crash. It's going to come down. And they're right. It's going to correct. It's going to, it's certainly going to have a, a bear at some point. But I wanted to write a book that was short. You could read it in four hours. You could put yourself in a position to have a playbook for your financial freedom and you'd be completely, you'd be able to get rid of all the fear that keeps people from investing. So look at this one statistic. It's 14%. It lasts 56 days on average. So two months, it's like a season. It's like a winter. But you don't lose money. The market has never taken a dime for anybody. You don't lose money if you sell because 80% of those corrections don't become a bear. We're at all-time highs this moment. Well, as remember we're last January? Last <laughs> yeah. January, right? Worst opening of the stock market in history for a January. We lost, what, $2.3 trillion in like nine days? Where are we now? Like you said, we just broke records. Everybody then is freaking out. They went to Ray Dalio. They were, he was in Davos. And when the market dropped 900 points, remember, I think it was the end of January, beginning of February, people are really in a panic thinking this is the big bear. And he said, it's a correction. And he said, listen, what should they do? Pick up Tony Robbins' book. He said, I told him a strategy that I've never told anybody of how I've made money 85% of the time. And he just promoted the whole book there. But what I want people to know is if it happens every year, and it, the corrections don't become bears 80% of the time. You lose money when you sell. Let's talk about the bear for a second. Bear comes every five years. We've gone eight without one. So one's coming. I don't know when. No one really knows when. But you want to be prepared so you can not only protect yourself but take advantage. Because I don't think most millennials realize that with all that vet they're carrying, they've got enough time that the greatest time in their life will be the next crash if they're prepared for it, if they're not fearful. Or a baby boomer who started too late. When things go on sale, it's really weird. The stock market is the only place on earth when things go on sale, people freak out. If, if your favorite car was a Ferrari and I said, you can get them for 50% off, you'd be juiced. But when you, all of a sudden the market drops 50%, people freak out. But that is the opportunity. So let me ask you about that specifically because you talk a lot in the book. And and by the way, people should definitely read the book. Like you say, it's a it's a quick read. It has very important facts. You you highlight the things that are the most important. But you talk a lot about indexing and, and kind of doing things in the lowest cost, most tax efficient way. But let me ask you about a strategy based on what you just said. What if I just simply wait for every time the market's down 14% and then I put, I I hold up, I, I, I store up my <laughs> that's, cash. That's what all, everybody's brains wants to do. So let me tell you, 
tell you this. First of all, Warren Buffett told me, he said, Tony, let me just tell you this. He said, all those market forecasters that are out there on CNBC, everything else, he goes, their only purpose is to make fortune tellers look good. He goes, nobody can predict the market and any idiot that tries loses. So let me explain why you don't want to do that because I would have thought the same thing, right? Okay, save up your cash. There's going to be a big drop. Well, there have been people saving up their cash for the market for the last eight years. They're, you know, they missed 250%. Or there are people right now in the last three months have been like, the market's so at the edge. Oh, my God. It's, it's crazy out there. And we've seen, what, 14.5% since Trump took office in November in three months, right? And so while you're busy waiting, here's what you need to know. I just did the JP Morgan Alternative Investments Conference. You got to have a billion-dollar net worth to go. Right? There's 400 people. It's a pretty wild group. JP Morgan did a study over 20 years. Uh, Schwab did an independent study as well for over 20 years independently. They both found something interesting. We all know the S&P over 20 years has given an 8.2% you know, compounded return. You're making money, doubling your money every nine years. But what most people don't know is if you were out of the market because you're trying to time it, for just 10 days, the 10 best trading test, excuse me, 10 best trading days during those 20 years, then instead of 8.2, you get four and a half percent, almost half as much. If you miss the top 20 days, because you think you can time the market, you're saving up for when the big fall happens, <laughs> you end up with 2%. If you miss the top 30 days in 20 years, one and a half days a year, if you just miss that, you lose money. And the same exact marketplace. And then they did a study saying, well, what if you go in the market? And you do it on the best day like you want to do. I want to go in there. I'm waiting for the market has its worst drop of the year. I buy then. So that's that's the guy who's lucky. He's not smart. He's lucky. Let's take another person and let's make him unlucky. And they manage to go in at the peak of the market and it crashes the next day. Let's take a third person dollar cost averaging. You know what that is. They're buying yeah. the same amount every, every month, right? And let's put the fourth person in cash. And let's see how they all do over a 20-year period. Well, who did the worst? You know that. The guy in cash. The guy always waiting who thinks, I'm going to get in later on. But when the market drops 50%, he doesn't have any more guts to do it then when he thought it was high before. They don't jump in. A guy like you would, but they won't. But here's what you need to know. The guy that was perfect timing, luck, and the guy was the worst timing, at the end of 20 years, there's a $14,000 difference in what they accumulate. Well, I think because there's there's a, a, a couple other points. One is that most of the market returns are from dividends. So whether the market goes up or down, yes. you're going to get maybe 80% of your returns from dividends overall. Yes. The other thing is, the, the the top 20 days usually come after the bottom 20 days, well, it's, the day you, after. You, you took the words out of my mouth. Six out of the 10 best trading days in the last 20 years were within two weeks of the worst trading days. So, you know, you did the same thing, I'm sure. When everybody was surprised by Trump winning, we are all surprised, and the market drops 900 points, I called my broker and loaded up for the next morning. You know what's going to happen, right? And everybody throws their pendulum, and then it bounces out. After a worst trading day, you get better trading days. Well, it's just the like, point, though, is you got the average person, and even a brilliant person, is never going to be able to time the market. And while you're busy trying to time it, all you got to miss is 10 days and you're screwed in 20 years or 20 or 30. Can't afford to do that. So you need to diversify. Not all your money goes in the market, obviously, but you do need to put yourself in a position where you stay there. It's what Jack Bogle teaches. Jack Bogle's whole thing is don't do anything, just stand there. <laughs> it sounds stupid, but the market, think about it, with inflation, with productivity, with a growing population, all these elements for two centuries has pushed America forward. 
we're going to continue to move forward. Right, we're going to continue to move forward. I always tell people this, regardless of politics. Like, everyone right totally now true. is divided in half. But at meantime, we're building, like, robots that are flying around delivering Amazon <laughs> packages. It's crazy, like, isn't it? The, the, the world's an amazing place. That we're, That's what you really invest in. You don't invest in the president. You invest in, like, this amazing uh, generations of technology that just keep happening. That makes us more and more productive, makes us leaders in the world. I just, last weekend was uh, with uh, President Clinton, who I've, you know, known for about 30 years. And about two months ago, I was with George W. Bush. And, you know, I asked them both, obviously, about the, the current situation. And George, they both gave me interesting answers. But George W. Bush gave me a really interesting answer. You know, he's never attacked Obama, President Obama. He said, look, I'm no longer the president. He's, the, he's our president. He's my president, too, and we need to support him. I've always respected him for that. But I said, privately, <laughs> tell me what you think. And he said, well, obviously, I wanted my brother to win. He goes, and he didn't. He goes, but this stuff that the world's over, he said, let me tell you what my view is. He said, I remember when Nixon was impeached and I thought this man destroyed the American democracy. He destroyed the presidency, he destroyed a reputation. He said, I was wrong. He said, you know what I discovered by being president? The office is far bigger than the occupant. That doesn't matter what we do. We have three branches of government and we're, this system is not perfect, but it's the best thing out there. Whoever's there can screw up. They can do good things. They can do bad things. But overall, we're going to keep moving forward because it's bigger than the individual. And I think people got to wake up and grow up to that because otherwise we're wasting all our time and conflict. I know people are all in cash because they hate Trump, thinking that's hurting Trump. You're only hurting you. You're not hurting Trump at all. It's so true because let's take the 1800s as an example, an entire century. You think... What defines that? Well, maybe the Industrial Revolution. You don't think James Garfield no. or, or you know Chester Allen Arthur yeah. or anything. These guys have disappeared in history, but the Industrial Revolution's forever, and that's, that's right. what's fueled where America is today. No yeah. one person. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, part part of what's so great about your book is that information helps reduce fear. And I feel what you're about in general is helping people reduce fear, not so that they could become financially wealthy, but so that they could kind of set the stage for happiness in their life. They could be financially secure, stable, free, whatever they want. But ultimately, unshakability is where fear no longer controls you. I mean, it's like, what would it feel like for your listeners if they could really, truly, no bullshit, no exaggeration, no hyperbole, live in a world where it doesn't matter what happens to the economy, doesn't matter where the real estate market or stock market goes, they know they're unshakable. They know I'm going to do fine. I'm going to take advantage of the opportunities when it's a challenge. And when it goes up, I'll take advantage of that too. It's a different world for people. So I want to give them that psychologically because that's real wealth. Because you and I both know billionaires that are stressed all the time. Oh, what, what I, I, have a, I have a story. So, so um, I was at kind of a breakfast club and over overhearing one billionaire talking to a hundred millionaire. And the billionaire who was about 50, 60 years old, he's had hundreds of thousands of employees. He's worth maybe two or three billion. He said, I can't believe this goddamn guy, Larry Page, is worth 18 billion and I'm only worth 2 billion. Like he was angry the entire <laughs> breakfast about Larry Page being worth 18 billion when he was only worth 2 billion. Well, you know what's so interesting? Money is, all money is, is really, it's like a, it, it's, it's a shapeshifter. Whatever you put on it is what it becomes, right? It's, it, that's what it is. And so I remember in 2008, Adolf Merkel is, was the richest man in Germany. He inherited a lot of money, but then he grew the business like tenfold over what his parents did. An industrial business, they had, uh, they had drugs, they had manufacturing, they had all kinds of things. And he put a bet against uh, Volkswagen and he, he shorted them and then they did well. And if you remember 2008, there was no money, right? There's no liquidity. And so all of a sudden he had the liquid liquidity to cover. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And so it looked like he was going to lose everything. And so he went to go borrow money from the banks and the banks weren't loaning. 
So what did he do? He was worth, I think it was uh, $13 billion and he dropped to nine. He lost $4 billion. Now he's the third richest man in Germany, and he's dropped to like, I don't know, the 50th or 60th in the, in the world. You know what he did? He tried to kill himself. No, he didn't try. He wrote a note. He walked in front of a train and killed himself. Say oh, goodbye to his family. I was just making a joke, but you're it's serious. It's not a joke. It's a dead serious. And you know what? The loan came through three days later. Oh, my God. That, now, why did he die? It wasn't money. Psychology. It's emotion. His identity was tied to being number one, not being number one. Didn't want to live. That's how bad it was for him. And then you see like a guy like Chuck Finney, who most people don't know his name. He he made eight billion dollars. If you've ever gone through, the, you know, traveled to the airport and you've done uh, duty free, he's the guy who created duty yeah. free. Eight billion dollars. He gave it all away. He just uh, two months ago gave away the last bit of money. His goal was to die. Broke his goal is you know bounce his last check and he's done it and he did it up until probably ten years ago he did it all without telling anybody he was doing it's it all anonymously right now here's two guys one kills himself because he lost four billion still has nine right the other guy spends his entire life giving away all his money and he's happy as can be well and you know that's again I feel that's the consistent theme of all your work in the past thirty years and I even oh thanks to you from like seventeen years ago I read Awaken the Giant Within and it oh, wow. helped me out in a very hard period in my life and uh, and you've done that for many people so so. And, and your book does this. Like, not only do you have, like in chapter two, you have like all these amazing facts throughout. You have all this great stuff about tax efficient, how to invest, you know, tax efficiently. You also get really into all the scams of Wall Street. Yes. And we don't have to go over that, but people should read the book and see every possible scam. I think you've hit maybe one fiftieth of the scams, but are the ones <laughs> that hit the consumers the most. Yeah, so that's people one should of the read consumers, it. Yeah. And then the final chapter is beautiful because that's when you start to talk more about the psychology, but. I want to start from the the beginning of the psychology. Like, you come in here, A, every one of my listeners know I interrupt all the time. You're impossible to interrupt. <laughs> Where do you get the energy? Where, what happens? Like, how do you, and then, and then I watch, you know, I Am Not Your Guru, the Netflix documentary. Yes. Everyone should watch that, produced uh, by my good friends, Brian Koppelman and, and David Levine, uh, who've also been on this podcast. Where do you get the energy to jump up and down for like, <laughs> Three days and to inspire 15,000 people. Well, it, part of it is, you know, you, you come to play, right? I got a mission just like you. And you I come think, to play. Yeah, I come to play, man. I prepare and I come to play, meaning I know what I'm made for. And this is what I'm made for. I'm made to help people create breakthroughs, financial, emotional, business. I mean, these are the things they do, relationship breakthroughs. But do you I'm ever obsessed. wake up? Do you ever wake up and say, oh, I gotta go now to James Altucher's podcast? Who whose podcast am I going? <laughs> I gotta go there. Oh. No, I don't do that. I actually I've enjoyed my time with you, so I actually look forward to it sincerely. But there are times when I'm exhausted for sure. What city am I in? What the hell am I doing? But when I go to deliver. And when I go to deliver, as you know, it's like a 50-hour delivery in four days. It's, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. And I have to own that audience. You know, I got to get the guy, a 15,000 person up on the top of the stadium and hold him for four days when most people won't sit for a three-hour movie. Someone spent $300 million right. to make. Right. You have so, to hold him. Like, you have to care for all of those people, every single one of them. And it seems to me, from watching that documentary, you got into, you know, what's often called a state of flow. Like, you help the girl who was in the cult, and you go backstage, and you ask, how long was was that segment or how long was I helping her? Yes. And they said two and a half hours. You had no, no clue. You lost sense of time. Yeah. So again, what 
what, what, how how can a listener, like no one's going to be Tony Robbins overnight, but how can a listener kind of who's sitting in their cubicle or driving to work just say, okay, I'm going to listen to this and I, I'll, I'll read his book about finances, but I want a little bit of that energy right now. I want to go yeah. into work and be a little more positive, have a little more energy and make changes in my You've life. you got to find something that you value more than yourself. You have to find, motive does matter. Motive brings energy. Now listen to me, life supports all of life. So if your motive is only to take care of yourself, quote, selfish, there's nothing wrong with that. You're part of life, life will give you insights. But if your motive is to support your family, then all of a sudden, I remember when all of a sudden I had four kids instantly. You know, I was 24 and I married a woman 13 years my senior. So I had an 11 year old, a five year old, a 17 year old when I was 24 and then a child on the way. I got different insights because life supports what supports more life. Now I'm supporting more. When I want to support the community, different. If you really want to support humanity, it isn't bullshit, it isn't positioning, you know what's true in your heart. You get insights no one else gets. So the energy comes because there is an impact. I really believe all of us, you know, there's only so much pleasure you can get from, you know, making money, doing business, making love as great as that is, dancing, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is that floats your boat. There's only so much you can feel within yourself. That's why as soon as something beautiful happens in your life or you have a great experience, the first thing most want to do is share with somebody we love. Why? Because when you share it, it grows. So I'm listening to this. So much you can have. So So I'm I'm busy sharing all the time. And what do I do right now? I'm listening to this. What should I do? To, 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 to share or you to, need to it, love you need something. It. You, what I would say is if you haven't found your passion, you need to get around where it's better. You should make your entire mission every day. How do I get around people that are more passionate, people that have a mission, people that are excited out of their mind and let something hit you because it's different for every person. But you got to get in the environment. If you surround yourself with people that go to their cubicle every day and they put their head down and work and they sit there on Facebook and they do their work and they go back and forth and they do social media... We become who we spend time with. We become like the okay. people we spend time with. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. Please go for it. I'm driving to work. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm an accountant at Procter & Gamble. Yes. No offense to Procter & Gamble. Yes. It's a great company. But, uh, uh, no offense to accountants either. <laughs> no offense to accountants. <laughs> they're, they're very good people. Uh, uh, this is all easy for Tony Robbins to say, but no, I'm going into, I'm listen, going into listen, work. How am I going to do listen, this? Who is fucking Tony Robbins? Excuse my French. Who am I? I'm a kid from Azusa, California, who had nobody in our family that was successful in business, had no idea how to go about it. But what I did have was one thing. I was hungry because I had suffered so much that I wanted to end suffering for others. It's still what drives me. I hate these things. But why suffer. weren't you scared? Why weren't you scared as a hungry kid? I was kid? scared. And why weren't you, when, when you had scared. that 17-year-old anyway. kid, when you had those four kids at the age of 24, why did you say, okay, this is motivates me? Why didn't you say, oh my gosh, I'm going to fucking collapse Because early in my life, I suffered so much. I had a mother that unfortunately was a great human being, but was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And when she was on those, which was daily, she was non-functional. So it made me very effective. I cooked, cleaned, went to the grocery store on my bicycle. I mean, I became an independent person as a kid and I had to take care of her. But also she was physically abusive. So she'd smash my head against the wall till I bled, pour, you know, soap, liquid soap, dish soap down my throat because she thought I was lying till I threw up and I wasn't lying. And it was, it was so suffering because it was coming from the person I loved. So what would you, like after that incident of, and because I've, I've, I've read that or heard that before, when, after that incident when she's pouring soap down your throat, what did you do? Like that, a, after she was done. I got she's, so angry, but I loved her. So it was this, this why? inner conflict. Why did you love her? Mother. You know, but you not love everybody mother. loves their mother who I love my mother because down the, their, their the, throat. I don't, I don't love that she did that. I look at her today, I look at what happened today, and I think if she was the mother that I had wanted, I wouldn't be the man that I'm proud to be. Because 
because of that suffering, because of that pain, I can't stand to see anybody else do it. You want to talk about where energy comes from? I live to light people up. And I don't just mean pump them up. I mean that breakthrough. I mean that moment when people go, shit, I can do this. I understand this. Or this strategy will do it. I'm going to turn my business around. That aliveness is what I live to see. And it gives me juice. But in the beginning, I was scared shitless. In the beginning, I had all those fears. So, so what I want people you... to know is how I did it was I fed my mind. If you don't feed your mind, if all you do is play games on social media, it's a beautiful thing. It's a useful thing. But you got to every single day feed your mind and you got to strengthen your body. Those two cannot be separated. So I would get up. My mom chased me out with a knife. I knew she wasn't going to kill me. But I also knew I wasn't going back in that house, right? So I go sleep on a hill. It rains. So then I go live in somebody's uh, you know, laundry room. And the first thing I did, I was so depressed, is I went to a bookstore and I bought a book to feed my mind because I, I was depressed. And the book was The Magic of Believing by Claude M. Bristol. And I read this book and it talked about, you know, put your messages that you want your brain program it on the mirror. So you look at it, write it in soap. And I had all these phrases like, you know, only a loser's depressed because I was so depressed and I was no loser, right? It's going to push through. But I fed my mind. I went to seminars. I started using net time, no extra time. In those days, it was cassette tapes. I never put myself in a position where I tried to make my do, do something. I was feeding my mind. I was reading biographies and reading and going, my life, as bad as I think it is, it's a cakewalk to some of the greatest human beings that have ever lived. So I got inspired, not by hoping inspiration showed up. I got strategies, not by hoping. Great ideas don't interrupt you. You got to pursue them. But and I pursued them because I was hungry. And why I am who I am today, too, is I'm still hungry. I've never lost it. If you want to know the one common denominator I've seen, I don't know if you agree, intelligence, wicked levels of intelligence I love in human beings. Somebody that smart. But there are people that smart can fight their way out of a paper bag. What matters is hunger never ending. The hunger to be more, to give more, to do more, to share more, to experience more. People like, uh, you know, I've interviewed 50 billionaires and many of them have become dear friends of mine. But Richard Branson is by far the happiest one out of that group. He really lives life fully. He experiences it all. He's never lost that hunger in his entire life. Got to interrupt for one second. I'm so sorry. Be careful when you lean in front of the mic and the banging on the table. I'm sorry. That's it, me. I'll try not to, really but it'll happen. Translates. But your hand movements are fine. Your energy is incredible. We're loving every minute of it. Thank you. Just be careful about the banging. You got okay? it. <laughs> Tony Robbins, the first time a podcast was ever interrupted I understand. by the podcast engineer. That's how much energy you have. Okay, I, well, to me, to my, I, I get it. Be more, share more. All, no, all that, hung, that hunger will make you seek answers. Like the people that come to me, the only thing they have in common because we've done so many demographic, psychographic, you know, all those pieces. The only thing they have in common because you see the number of people I work with, the most successful, the most challenged, is hunger. When people are, some people get hungry because they're the best in the world, so they're always hungry. They're always looking for that edge. They know a little edge can change everything. Some people are hungry because they had a birthday with a zero on it, or they lost a bunch of money, or they got a divorce, or their kid's screaming at them. People, some people do it because they're proactive, some do reactive, but the lukewarm middle people that are not happy, but they're not really unhappy enough to do anything about it, I'm never going to see them. So it's I'm for of, hungry people. It's, 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 it's basically the, do, you can have all the ideas in the world, you can be creative, but it's, you have to do. Every yes. day you have to do something. You got to grow. So what are what are uh, again the average person or not average person? Let's say the above average person listening to this. They're listening either in, in the gym or on their commute. What can they do to start not just incrementally improving, but like ten x improving? It, well, it depends on what ten x and what area of their life specifically. Let's you know I don't know. Everybody's different, right? So yeah. some people want to do career. Some people want to be more creative. Some people want to find what their passion yeah. is and be yeah. around a better group of people. What should they? What action should they take? 
Modeling is what, what's made my life work. Modeling is the idea that success leaves clues. That and some, you look great on a runway, so, you know. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, that kind of modeling. No, success leaves clues, meaning, you know, my original teacher, Jim Rohn, taught me that. He said, Tony, look, if someone is really successful at something, if they've lost 25 pounds, 30 pounds, and they've stayed fit for 10 or 20 years, they're not lucky. If you see a couple that have been together, and they're not just hanging out, they're passionate for each other 20, 30 years later, they're doing something different than other people. They're not just like, everyone wants to say they're lucky. There's something different. So he trained me to look for what those differences are, the difference that makes the difference in results. So, so the difference makes the difference in fulfillment. So what you want to do is find a role model. Whatever you want to change, you want to lose weight, you want to get the perfect woman in your life, you want to make a ton of money. So the same reason I did this book. What did I do? I went to 50 of the smartest human beings on the face of the earth financially, dug into their psyche for four or five hours. Some of them developed friendships where I've talked to them for years now. And I've been able to take that and say, instead of me learning by trial and error, let me go to the best on earth and find out what took them 20 years to learn and compress decades into days. That is the number one piece. So once you know the model, then it's about massive action and it's about constantly changing your approach because you know you take massive action, it doesn't work. So what do you do? You try something else, it doesn't work. You iterate till you figure out what works. What does, what does massive action mean here? Massive action means you don't wait until you have all the answers. You take action. You got a concept, an idea. I've taught all my kids. I said, listen, I know you guys think I'm like really smart. My kids are always talking to me, you're the most brilliant dad. I'm a smart human being, but the smartest part for me, I want to transfer to you. And the smartest part is whenever I come up with a decision or goal, whenever I make a decision that matters, I immediately take some kind of action that commits me to follow through. Even if it's send an email or schedule a meeting or call the person right What's now. What's an example? Um, you know, I was I just recently, I was considering buying a company and a bunch of us were discussing it. And I said, you know what? This company, I think it's really good target, but only if we pair it with another company. And we had this hour discussion, and then I was being interrupted and running into the meeting. I said, before we run the meeting, right now, get the bro, get this guy on the phone. Let's have the discussion for 10 minutes right now, and let's schedule the meeting and go do it. I didn't leave the meeting with that as an action item for the future, because what happens is when you get in state, when you're excited about something, you made a decision, you're ready to do it, you're inspired, or you got the plan, and then you don't do something in that moment, you lose your momentum. You end up someplace else, something distracts you, social media, text, email, and you lose the momentum and now it's hard to get back. But if you do it while you're in state and you commit to follow through, that's how you build momentum and have it keep moving. And what's great is that's more important than being correct. That's right, because you can always change your approach, but doing or you can nothing. Be wrong. Yeah, but, but if you do nothing, when you keep waiting, you'll, you learn nothing. It's like, if you look at what Tesla's doing so brilliantly, you know, all the self-driving car stuff, he's got the greatest advantage, not because of his technology, but because he has so many cars on the road right now, he's getting all the big data from that. So every time somebody drives, it's retraining the entire system. The whole system learns what to do so he can do a better job than anybody else out there. You really just need to put yourself in the position so that you've got enough exposure to things that excite you, that you find your triggers, figure out your old model, take massive action, come up with a plan. If it doesn't work, change it. And then you got to just make sure that all behind it all, there's an emotional purpose that will keep you going and keep you hungry. Something more than yourself. Because you and I, as human beings, we only do so much for ourselves. It's not that hard to get yourself to feel comfortable. What I'm interested in is people that aren't comfortable. I'm interested in people that want to create. I'm interested in creators, disruptors, people that, that won't settle for less than they can do, be or share or create. Do you ever feel 
that you're not being as creative as you could be because you've created a business model now that has worked for you for decades and you've built it up. You've built up a huge business. How do you ignite creativity in your own life right now? How do you do something different? Because every time somebody stands up, there's something different. So I'm always challenged. You never know what someone's going to say. They're suicidal. They made 500 million on their board. It's just the craziest shit. Uh, they hate Donald Trump, and so their life is over. People can, people can do the most amazing things with their minds. But for me, part of it is business. You know, I have 31 companies now in seven different industries. So I got everything from Next VR, where we have the exclusive for virtual reality for the NBA and for Live Nation, to stem cell business, to a resort in Fiji, to educational businesses. So I've got 1,200 employees on four continents in seven radically different industries, you know, $5 billion in sales. What are the chances of me being bored? <laughs> it's like all I gotta do is be near my phone, and something's gonna be triggering me in a heartbeat. And to some extent, that's uh, the essence of diversification too. It is. You don't just diversify. Oh, I'm gonna invest in like five different stocks and then go to my job in the cubicle. You have to diversify your life in many yes. ways. Yes. And, and again, you you've spent decades doing it. Some people don't know how to do it. What a lot of people Dude, say. Well, you, I have you know, a, a ten hour thing. job. Let, let's you and I get rid of this whole how thing just for a second. Okay. No more how is no 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 just <laughs> let me just try this with you how is not as important as why or what mm. right you know the way you create if you have to ask yourself how am i going to do it most people won't do it for the very reason you say i don't know how i don't know how to do any of this shit what i did is i decided what that's what a leader does what am i going to do what's the result i'm going to produce and more importantly why because reasons come first and answers come second. If you get a big enough why, you can figure out how to do anything. The problem with your viewers that say, I don't know how, is they keep focusing on how. You can figure out the how if you got a strong enough what and why. What and why unleashes the psyche. But I feel like- How brings in the mind and then the mind brings in fear. And you got to remember that brain, that two million year old brain is always looking to protect you from being hurt. It's trying to make sure you don't fail. It's, it's survival software. And it, that one will get you in your head. Get in your head, you're dead. Listen, I'm a strategist. I love the how. But the how must come after the what and why are so powerful that how, there's a million ways how to do something. And one, one of the ways you learn in the past won't work today anyway. Well, we want to stay on our toes. Well, like you said, though, the brain is set up not only you know for survival. That's our main function. It doesn't right. care about our happiness. It doesn't care that's about your job. anything Your else. job is to make yourself happy. Right. The brain's not going to do it. So, so, so after like 10, 20, 30, 40 years, why... Not knowing why becomes a habit because That's true. so how do you That's start totally to build true. the habit of why? Most people don't know why. Most people don't know how to think about why. I actually, uh, you know, in order to build all these companies and do what I did in the early days when I was like, I don't know, 22, I was overwhelmed, right? I had like two companies and it's like trying to do the seminar. And how am I going to do all this stuff? So I took a time management course, you know, and all the priority shit and everything else. And pretty it was pretty clear that that lasted about a week because there was always more to do than, you know, than I could possibly do in a day. And I change my philosophy and I teach all my companies and all my executives to do what I call RPM. RPM is three questions to ask. There's a physical system to it, but it's the thinking that's more important. And the questions are, well, I'll give it to you as an example. I have President Clinton call me. It's a funny example because I just saw Okay, such why does President Clinton call you? Just like to hang out or well, he's like, yeah, well, Tony, hey, how's it going? This particular time was years ago. I was 31, 32 years old. I'm 56 now. Uh, so it's been 20, 25 years, but he called me up and said, they're going to impeach me in the morning. What should I do? I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's like, could you call me sooner? It's tomorrow morning, right? So I've had to figure out how to deliver. Like putting myself on the spot like that 
with the President of the United States or Serena Williams is melting down on national television and I got to step in and deliver it right now. You know, what, what I call it is deep practice, putting yourself in deep practice where you're going beyond the edge of your capability on a regular basis is how you grow to such an extent that all of a sudden all this little shit you're worried about the house stuff doesn't work. But RPM, let me explain. He says to me, what should I do? My question back to him is that's the wrong question. What to do is the question everybody asks, and you end up with a long to-do list. What matters more is what do you want? What do you want out of this situation? What's the outcome? Do you want to just stay in office? Because you want to stay in office, the Senate's not going to you know, push you out. Easy for me to say, I'm not on trial. But they're not. You know they're not. You, they don't have the votes. So if you do nothing, you'll stay in. Is your outcome to be respected by children, by mothers, by fathers? If that's true, you're a lawyer, and you know what you can do to not put yourself in jail but still be honest. And that's what I would suggest because what your outcome is is what's going to determine your action items. And I went through this in depth. In the end, he said, damn, you're so right. You're so right. He says, I got to see this is not what to do. I got to think is what do I want? Why do I want it? Because the second one, the R is what's the result? What are you after? The outcome. The P is what's your purpose? Why? And then you have the M, which is the map, the massive action plan. And I have people make a list of everything they could do. And then you highlight the 20% that produces 80% of the results. So, so wait, what's the, what's the difference again between result and purpose? I just want to make sure I understand. What? what do you want? What's the specific target? Clarity is power. Mm. The purpose is why do you want it? What's the juice in it? Are you doing this for your mother, yourself? Are you looking to transform your body? Are you looking at this because it gives you juice to connect to God? What is it that's going to move you? Because I, I remember when I was a kid, I was like 22, 23 years old, and I moved in the castle. I thought the greatest life. And then I started getting so overwhelmed, because in those days there was no internet, that's how old I am. But I get these, this list of calls, and I'd have like 125 calls, because I've been gone for the week. 125 phone calls, are you kidding me? I just burnt myself out, I've been on stage 50 hours, and I'd be so stressed. And then I looked down, I remember one day, and I said, that's a different question, not why do I have to do all this? What do I want with each of these people? And why do I want it? And they looked at the list. And on the list, I had, you know, a couple billionaires. I had people that maybe five years before I would have died to get one phone call from. And now I'm bitching about it, right? So I learned to train myself to chunk things. Instead of seeing it as 125 calls, I went, all these relate to this target, this business, all these. And so I take 125 and it becomes four chunks. And your brain chunks things so much easier when you group them than when you make them one little thing at a time. So when I knew what I wanted and why I wanted it, now I was inspired to make these phone calls. How to make the call. Are you kidding me? What to say, how to do it. You and I, everybody knows how to do that. You can figure that out in two seconds. I was missing the what and the why. And if you train yourself, what do I want? Why do I want it? And then what's the best way to get there? And just make a, a list of every possibility. You're not going to do them all. And then which of those matter? Which of those are likely to get you there? It allows you to shrink the world to where you're focused on the outcomes instead of focused on the activity. Most people mistake movement for achievement, man. And so they're busy all the time. What I really want is fulfillment for people. And to be fulfilled, you got to consciously decide what you want and why you want. So, so, so for you, when you had this, you know, it's so, it's so easy to take the why or to take bad situations in life and say, well, I guess this wasn't for me, or I guess I'm not good enough, or I guess my Ra mother was not good enough. I'm not like coming from some yeah. rich, you know, family. Uh, there's, there's a lot, there's a negative way to relieve stress. And you kind of made it a habit to t take a, to, to go a positive way of relieving stress. But the reason, because I have a mission beyond myself. If it's just to take care of me, what would I do? So what's a, what's an example like today or yesterday or the day before My where you had to like switch your brain to remind yourself of that mission? I don't. 
not at this stage. It's like mm -hmm. an athlete, right? I've mm -hmm. built my muscles so strongly. I work them out every day. So now when I need them, they exercise. You know, I don't negotiate with my mind. You know, I think, you know, I wake up every morning. The first thing I do is if I'm in my home in Sun Valley, I jump in a freezing river. If I'm in one of my other homes, I jump. I have a cold plunge at 56 degrees. Why do we do that? It's great for your health. Moves your lymph. Phenomenal way. But I really do it for one other reason. To train my brain. When I say we're doing something, there's no negotiation with myself. I don't sit there and go, well, I'd like to do this. We do it, and it's a habit, and I've done it for so many years. I don't feel like getting that freaking cold water and everything else, but I always am glad that I did it afterwards. So I've done it so often that I'm wired. Just like at the end of the book where I was explaining to people that money won't do it for you, you got to take control of your mind because most of us, we're the only creatures again on the planet that can make ourselves depressed or angry or excited or feeling loving or adventurous by the thought we think. We can change a thought and change our biochemistry. Or we can, like, our biochemistry create our thoughts. And it's just like you said, too. It doesn't matter. Like, the same two people, could have, one could have more money but, but commit suicide. The other could still be worth $2 billion, be angry. And yet Richard Branson is probably happiest guy around. One of the happiest guys because he's committed to not suffering. He's committed to having a good time every day, which is the number one mission of this book in the end. First, it's make sure that people are financially set. Set them up for freedom. But second, don't wait for that freedom. Learn how to let go of what is making you so stressed. Because how many people you and I know, what's the number one thing you hear from achievers? Like, oh, I'm so stressed. I don't know time. And it's like a habit, right? It's like a badge. It is of a habit. It's a, it's a badge of courage. And it's they an talk. excuse. It's an excuse, but it's also so that you'll know that I'm successful. Screw you. That's not successful being stressed out all the time. Who wants to suffer? You know, you want to suffer to prove that you worked hard? I tell people life is too short to suffer. And you and I would never consider suffering what we do. Two years ago, I was a friend of mine in England, in India. And he said, Tony, you know you talk about the secret to life as a peak state. In a peak state, your mind operates at a different level. In a peak state, you, you interact with people in a different way. I also call it high, you know, energy rich versus energy poor. Those are the two extremes. He goes, what if you called those energy rich states, high energy states, peak states, like beautiful states? Mm. I said, okay. And he said, what if you take the painful states, the low energy states, the problem states, and you call them suffering. I said, I don't suffer. And he goes, I know you don't, but let's talk about it. So we talked about it for a while. And I said, okay, beautiful states would not just be happy then. It would be playful. It'd be fun. It'd be creative. It'd be driven. It'd be hungry. It'd be so many different emotions that fit high energy like that. And when you're in those states, you do the right thing. What are suffering states? Then I started thinking of it differently. I don't suffer, but I do get stressed. I don't suffer, but I do get pissed off. I don't suffer, but I get frustrated. In fact, I realized how cheap my happiness was because all I had to do was have my phone nearby and I was unhappy because with 1,200 employees, what are the chances somebody's effing up right now something? Effing up meaning doing something different than I think they should. And all I had to do was be connected to this and I could lose my happiness in a heartbeat. So what I learned to do- It's funny how that's like an unhappiness machine. Well, it could be a happiness machine too, as you well know, but- but with that many employees, that many moving parts, it's only a matter of time before somebody's going to do something different than I expect. So I tell people, if your happiness requires other people to behave the way you want them to behave, what are the chances that you're going to stay happy in your life? You have to limit yourself to a small number of humans who you can control, which is not love, or you're going to always be stressed out. But if you're going to be happy by you doing the right thing every moment, none of us even individually does the right thing every moment. So what I've learned to do is say, the most important decision in life, I believe today, 
is to decide to live in a beautiful state every day, no matter what. Because in a beautiful state, you will connect with people in a completely different place. In a beautiful state, your spouse will feel loved. In a beautiful state, you're going to have your immune system functioning in a different place. In a beautiful state, you'll you'll solve problems much quicker. So again, in I think that's a habit. State, you don't. It is an absolute habit. I think like when you notice yourself in a suffering state, you have to consciously decide what's going to I, I get you into a, a beautiful state. I have a 90 state. second rule. My 90 second, it should have been a four day rule in the beginning, <laughs> maybe a four hour rule because I'd get hooked, right? My brain would get hijacked and I'd be pissed off or frustrated. But then I eventually got it down to 90 seconds. And when you do it enough times, it's like a muscle. I have been the happiest in the last two years, not because my life has been better. Uh, this last year, I had mercury poisoning at an extreme, like on a zero to five scale, 123. Whoa, were you eating die. too much sushi? Fish, exactly right. Really? It was tuna and it was swordfish. They're 75 year fish and they have a thousand times more mercury in them and no one uh, tells you that, right? Uh. So it was really dangerous. I tore my rotator cuffs, snowboarding. I got spinal stenosis. They told me I'll never be the same. And I had the best year of my life. How? Because I, and thank God, because I promised, I, I made a promise to myself, no one else, the one that matters to myself, that I am not going to suffer. If I start to suffer, which you will, the mind will go there. I'll notice it and I'll see it for what it okay. is. It's a stressful thought and I'm going to focus first on what do I appreciate, what do I enjoy, what do I love? Because appreciation, joy, and love destroy suffering that fast. So when you got that diagnosis, I can't even say the word, and they were, and you were told spinal you were never... Stenosis. Yeah, spinal stenosis, whatever. The guy, the guy says to me, I'll tell you what he says to me. He first says to me, oh my God, Tony Robbins, oh my God, you changed my life. I made $10 million. I went to your business mastery five. He goes on the whole thing. My relationship's better. He goes, okay. I have to be a doctor. You're going to die. <laughs> That's basically what he said. He goes, let me show you the spine. He said, one hit and you're a quadriplegic. Life as you know, it's over. You're not jumping up and down anymore. You're not playing squash. You're not snowboarding. You're not doing, you're not jumping around on stage. And I was just, I did, I did suffer because I, I wasn't prepared. It's like somebody punching you in the gut when you weren't ready for the gut. You know, so I thought I was coming in to get some PRP for my shoulder. He tells right. me I'm not going to function ever again. But what great is I started to suffer. I caught it. I got out and I was doing what I do best. It's like, they all say there's no solution. I called four of the people, no solution. I kept searching and I found a man in Melbourne, Australia, who sent me MRIs to show me 100 hours of hyperbaric oxygen at a certain depth releases 800% more stem cells than your body would never ever get from any drug or any other approach. And the stem cells go and heal this. And so I was like, wow. So then he said, before you come, since you're going to be over here, it takes usually a week to get your blood done. Do blood first. Let's see if you have cytokines, inflammation, whatever. And when I was there, the man says to me, you want to do a metals test? I see me like mercury. He said, yeah. I said, no, no, no. I had my amalgams out 25 years ago. He goes, well, we do aluminum. All I said, all right, do it. Do it. Let's just find out. Calls me up on the phone and says, the doctor looked at this and said, how long have you been in the hospital? And I just got off stage for 50 hours, right? I was losing my memory because it mimics the experience of people getting, not Parkinson's, but uh, what do you call it? Like uh, Lyme or no, dementia? No, no, or... No, dementia. Mm -hmm. Losing your memory. And I'm 56 years old. And I, I do 50 hours at a time, never drop a thought. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to think, what am I doing here? So it scared me. So in the last year, I had to dig in and detox the body. And I'm on a zero to five scale. I'm now on nine out of 120. So, so all those illnesses or diseases, gone. They're all gone. I still have some challenges in my spine and things Let, like that. Let's say they, okay, so so you still have some challenges. Yeah. So sometimes it might come up, oh, a little bit of worry or suffering. It will. And, and then it. what do you, what happens in your brain? You say you're going to give yourself 90 seconds. Yeah, I just, I feel the tension. So what I do is I go, ah, brain's trying to hijack. The mind, the mind, not my mind. It's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. If I asked you what are the two most stressful thoughts doesn't have to be exact ones, but we all have stressful thoughts. What are two of the most recurrent stressful thoughts in your life? I'm going to go broke and my girlfriend's going to cheat on me. Okay, good. <laughs> now, those listening, if we asked all your listeners, how many of you have ever had the fear you're not going to make the money or you're going to go broke? 
What percentage do you think have had that fear or that thought? 100%. Yeah. What do you think a percentage thought that their boyfriend or their girlfriend might leave them or die or cheat on them? 99.9%. 99.9%. So those aren't your thoughts. Those thoughts have been around forever. You call them your thoughts, and as long as you make them your thoughts, it'll be extremely hard for you to separate from them because you've identified with them. I look at it and go, the truth. Those thoughts have been around forever. Those are the mind. If I told you 100 years ago to go to the moon and back, you called me a lunatic, an idiot. That's where the term comes from. If I told you 100 years ago, there's going to be a box. You have it in your pocket, and there's going to be invisible waves traveling around the earth, and those invisible waves will come into the box, and you can push a button and see and talk to someone on the other side of the earth. You go, you're crazy. The invisible waves of thought have been around for thousands of years. If you use your body one way, it's like a TV set. You turn the channel, and you're in... A comedy. Turn another place, it's a horror. But another place, it's history. So you detach yourself from these thoughts. That's right. I see them. I actually watch them by and I get entertained by them because I don't believe them. I still hear them. I still, the mind still brings them, but I don't believe them. It's kind of like everybody's probably at one point thought, I'm going to kill that son of a bitch. But you didn't believe it, so you didn't kill him. <laughs> I mean, you just had the thought. The thought went by. Then I switched to what can I appreciate in this moment? What can I love? Who can I love? What can I give? Because the minute you shift into that, it changes. I always tell people, trade your expectations for appreciation. And in that moment, your whole life will change if you continue. I, I give an exaggeration uh, of my own life, of how I exaggerated problems in my life. So I'm privileged to have a Global Express. I'm on a private you know, plane. I can fly straight to China without a break. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Can I have a ride? Yes. Uh, I've been <laughs> yes, meaning to go can. there. <laughs> um, but I've, most of my life, I chartered domestically. But overseas, it was too expensive, right? You're going to spend $400,000 to fly to, to you know, Australia in those days. So what I did was I'd fly commercially. And I was getting burnt out because I was traveling in these crazy ways. And so finally, one of the things that happened is I'd get on the plane to go to Australia three times a year. And... I was used to, I got, you know, all these companies, I think in those days I had like 15 companies. And I'm like, I'm going to be cut off for 14 hours on the West Coast. 14 hours. All this email, all this Slack, all these texts are going to build up. And I'm going to have to start all over. I'm going to spend my whole day. And I'd be so stressed. And one day I said to myself, what's stressful about sitting or in first class sleeping, for God's sakes? And so I began to realize what I was doing. So then I get on the plane one of the last times I was on a commercial flight. And it was ironic. They announced on the plane, we have international internet. And it was like God entered the building. People were cheering. People stood up and clapped. I felt like stepping up and clapping, but I didn't. I controlled myself. But what happened? Nine, down. Min nine minutes later, nine minutes of a 14-hour flight, it goes down and never came up again. What were people's reactions, though? This is bullshit. I shouldn't even fly with this company. This is the dumbest thing ever. People were bitching, yelling, complaining. Nine minutes earlier, it was a miracle. They didn't even know it existed. No, it was a miracle that it happened. Nine minutes later, it's an expectation. That's what's happened to us in our world today. So if you let go of the expectations and you focus on appreciating, it's like I tell people, billionaires are a dime a dozen. There's a new billionaire in the United States every six days. There's a new billionaire in China every five days. You want to know what's much more unique than a billionaire? A person who lives in a beautiful state every single day, even when it rains on their parade, even when they don't get what they want, even when injustice comes. That individual has a different life. That individual is rich. I asked Sir John Templeton, what's the key to wealth? And he smiled and he said, Tony, we're friends for years. I interviewed him in 2008 before he passed and I'd interviewed him many times for that. And he said, Tony, I'll tell you what it is. He said, it's what you teach. And I said, well, I teach a lot of things. Which thing? And he came back and said, it's gratitude. He goes, if you have a billion dollars and you're not grateful, your emotions are pissed off and frustrated, that's your life. If you have no money, but you're truly grateful, you're rich as can be.
And I just think that's the missing ingredient for most people. So this, but book I feel like people, I feel like people know that to some extent, intellectually. Like, yeah, intellectually, they don't have the habit of it. They don't have the habit, They've and that's the problem. Never made the decision that says no more. So like, let's if you want to take the island, you burn the boats. But decision comes from incision in Latin, which to cut off from. Most people's idea of decision is stating what they'd like to have happen. If it doesn't work out, you know, they give up. A real decision is like this is happening. There is no other choice. I burnt my boats. I am taking this island. That's the kind of thing you have to do with suffering. Otherwise, it'll keep coming up because, you know, it's the nature of the mind. And, I think, you know, it, I if think you don't kill it while it's small, I always tell people, kill the monster while it's little. Don't wait till it's Godzilla taking your life in your city. I think it's also related to the why. Like, why, coming up, coming up with the why to have gratitude. So, like, oh, I have children, so it's important for me to be in a beautiful state for, for their sake. Or your well, wife or yourself. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like... Once you do it for a period of time, it's like I'm trying to describe to people what a rose smells like who've not smelled a rose yet. You think you have. But once you experience it, it's addictive because there's so much freedom. You know, what do most people want from money? Freedom. They want to have certainty. They want stability. They want, you know, to be able to do what they want the way they want it. Most people have lots of money don't have that level of freedom. So, they right. have it financially, but they don't have it psychologically. Right, so people think people think you can't have freedom without money, uh, and that's a common misconception. I, I hear I that agree. from everybody. You need money. If you want freedom, you need money first, which is completely Total wrong. Bullshit. Has nothing to do with, all studies in positive psychology show it has nothing to do with anything. But what for you is freedom? Now, I get it. Gratitude, being in a beautiful state, yeah. and that will- Freedom is meaning. To me, it's the ability to live life on my terms, to do things that I think are really useful beyond myself, to be able to look out and say, if I died today, could I be happy about this day and this life? And I can honestly say, yes, I'm knock on wood. I'm hoping I won't die today. I don't believe I will. But it's an amazing feeling to live that way. But you can't live that way if you're in your head. Okay, well, you know, I like to do that exercise of if I die today. I legitimately, I wake up hoping I'm going to die today. Because then, because then I do think that ah, everything's going to, it's not the cliche live life as if you're going to die today and then everyone goes out and parties. Like you really uh, notice everything around you and treat everyone with appreciate and respect. So like, what if you die today? What do you appreciate in your life right now? Oh my God. My wife is the number one thing in my life. My children, um, the fact that I've had the privilege to live in a time in history where I was able to travel to a hundred countries and be involved with, you know, 60, 70 million people over 40 years, and I've played a role enhancing their life. And I know that not because I think I have, because I'm stopped every day of my life by a dozen or two dozen people telling me the most amazing stories. All off 75 pounds, I got my kid off cocaine, I built a $200 million company. I mean, it's, it is, other than my wife and children, is the most incredible thing in my life. So where do I get my energy? Every single day, I'm being reinforced for the work that I've done for 40 years. And you let it reinforce you. You don't I just say, you don't, you don't let's see all these emails pile up with thank yous and say, oh, I got to respond to all of them. You let it give you power and energy. It's my birthday today. There's more messages on here than I can respond to, but I'll still respond to all these messages the next couple of days, but I'll read them all. I don't go, ah, shit, well, it's my birthday. It's so nice everybody wrote me. I cherish and take them in. I think about each person. I think about what they've done because if you don't take the time to feel that sense of fulfillment, then all you do is more and more achieving. And how many friends do you have? I have. They're ultimate achievers and they're divorced. They're fat. You know, they got plenty of money. They got great businesses. They're pissed off over little things. Is that really how you want to live? And then other people see them and go, I don't want to be that. And it had nothing to do with the money. 
Money, again, makes you more of who you are. If you're mean, you have more to be mean with. If you're giving, you have more to give with. It doesn't change people. It magnifies people's true nature. And, and I think the, the modeling that you talk about is a real uh, good way to bridge between where you are if you're not where you want to be exactly. and where someone else is who you admire. Maybe yes. model some aspects of Richard Branson, some aspects of you, some aspects of whoever. Yes, yes yourself, James. So <laughs> so maybe may, not too many people should do that. But I do want to, um, again, tell people, unshakable, uh, the newest book by Tony Robbins. This, I think this really dives down not only into what's happening financially in your life, but it, it really, for me, reduced my own fear. And I know the financial world inside yeah, and out. That makes me really happy. And so it's, it's, it's a fascinating book, particularly also not only the financial stuff, but the final chapter when you, where you talk about the beautiful versus yeah. the suffering. Yes. That's the first time I've heard you talk about that in, yes. in writing. So yeah, it was, it was great. And I really appreciate you spending the, the time on your birthday, but I still want to know, and I asked this, the la I don't know if you remember, I asked, asked this to you two years ago when you were on my podcast, why did Bill Clinton call the 31-year-old Tony Robbins? <laughs> uh, because he first called me at Christmas um, right after he was reelected, remember he was elected almost on the landslide kind of yeah. approach. And then all of a sudden, if you remember, you met, uh, people might not be old enough to remember, but the Republicans took over like they are now. They were in both houses for yeah. the first time. And he was considered a weak president who couldn't accomplish anything. And I was at, uh, I was Christmas at Peter Guber's house. A dear friend of mine owns the lake. Um, he was like Sony this. then? Yeah, he was the head of Sony then. And he says, the president's on the line. I'm like, what? So I pick up the phone and it's President Clinton. And he says, Tony, he said, I've heard from 10 people now that and if I want to solve what I'm dealing with, you're the guy to go to. And I said, well, I'm really complimented. And I said, but I want you to know. And he said, would you come to Camp David and coach me tonight? It was Chris. It was the night after Christmas, right? The day after Christmas. And uh, I said, Mr. President, um, it'd be a privilege to serve you. I said, but I have to tell you in advance, I'm a very honest man, that uh, if you're looking for somebody, I'm not a fan. If you're looking for somebody to tell you what you want to hear, I'm the wrong guy. And I'm not disrespectful in any way. I'm honored for the request and call. I would love to serve you but I'm a straight shooter. He goes, that's what I want. So we built this bond. And then I went to be with him. And then there were several other people that he invited to come there. And at the end of the night, he wanted me to stay. And I promised my family I would come back. It was the day after Christmas. And I said, Mr. President, it's the privilege to be with you. But I said, my family comes first. And I took off. And that built the bond because he couldn't believe everybody else stayed. And I left. Um, and so we built that. So we'd had a relationship for some period of time before the impeachment situation. So he called me at that point because I was a trusted advisor for him. But, you know, there are many trusted advisors. I wasn't the only person he called, I'm sure. But it was amazing to get that call from him. And, and it's so nice. And I was just with him this last weekend. It's just so nice to see him today. I know he's been through a rough time. He's, you know, frustrated, obviously, with the political process because he wanted his wife to win. But the work that he's done through his foundation, I remember coming down the hill. I was in Aspen with him. He was at a fundraiser. He called me up and asked me if I'd come meet him. And so I got in the car, and it was one of those surreal moments. It was winter time. We're going down Red Mountain, if you know Aspen. It's very severe. Yeah. And it's all the president's motorcade. I'm in the back of the limousine with him. And, and it was right when the, the uh, what do you call it, the dress had come out, right? And he said, he was talking to me, and he says, Tony, he goes, oh, man, if I could run again, I would. And I, and I said to him, I teasingly, I said, if I were you, I'd get, the, I'd get out of Dodge. I was going to tease him. He goes, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I'm 51 years old or whatever he was at the time. And I remember having that conversation. I reminded him of this weekend of it. I said, I told him this weekend, I said, Mr. President, I said, uh, what you've done with your life after the presidency is extraordinary. I think he's had more impact outside the office, almost as much as he did inside the office. And it's beautiful to see how people can create a compelling future, how they can look at life and create such value. And it's been really fun to be one of the people that's helped to, you know, help him along the way to come up with some of those visions. He did it all himself, but to play even a tiny role there is, is incredibly fulfilling. 
Well, that's exciting. I mean, you should write a biography. That's your next book. Someday I'm telling you, I, I, I want to buy that. Thanks so much, Tony Robbins. Thanks, James. Great to be with you, man. are true overwhelming power the sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili mcdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wick nuggets fries and sprite ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last